welcome to the MindChimp Podcast. Hey John, welcome to the MindChimp Podcast. How are we doing? Hiya Danny, thanks for having me on. It's a real pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's been a long time coming, right? It has. I think we started talking about it when you were back in season one. Yeah, and, uh, it, yeah, it yeah. was. You was, you, was on my, you was on my top list of people to get on for season one. I, I bet like, you say that to all the girls. Well, yeah, you, you can't, yeah, you can't, man. So, yeah, no, I, I massively appreciate it. I guess for for when this comes out, um, for the audience, it's pretty much, what month are we now? January 2020, right? 2020. So, so this might end up being the last episode. We don't know yet. Um, but, yeah, that's a long time since season one. So, anyway. We, we Come already, a long way. Yeah, we, we digress already. <laughs> So Gemma, before we jump into it, I tend to ask my guests to pick five numbers. So go for it, from one to a hundred. Number eight. Okay. Number nine. Yep. Number 37. 37. Number 75. 75. And a hundred. Ooh, and a hundred. What's the most common number that you have on this? Um, That is a good question. I'm not really sure. A lot of people tend to go for number one, which mm. which is interesting. Um, I feel like in season two, I kept saying the same objects. So there's obviously familiar like numbers. But yeah, it's a good question. Maybe maybe at the end of season two, I'll put out like a, an infographic of data. Nice. Insights. So, yeah. <laughs> um, we will come back to these, these uh, numbers later on, Gemma. So cool. usually when the guests come on the show, I tend to ask them, what their, their logline is, what summarises them. Do you know what yours is? Um, yeah, go on, I'll have a go. Um, it's the same one that I use for, for pretty much everything, for Twitter and stuff, so it might, might not come as a surprise to you, Danny, but um, I always say that I'm a Ferris Bueller wannabe. Um, so Ferris Bueller wannabe, and I am trying to make work feel more like real life. Okay, okay. We will uh, we'll come back to them as well, for sure. So Cool. Obviously, Gemma, we 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 know each other for a while now. We've known each other well. Feels like for for a while anyway. Um, yeah. Obviously, some of my guests might not know who you are, so maybe you could give us a bit of a a bit of a whistle stop tour from kind of where you come from right up to kind of where you are right now. Sounds good. Um, so yeah, so I'm Gemma Patterson. Um, new name because I got married last year, so still getting used to that formal. The artist formerly known as Critchley. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so a bit about me. I um, was born in a town called Swinton, um, not Swinton, Manchester, Swinton, South Yorkshire, on the right side of the Pennines. Just yes. had to get that one in yeah. there. Um, and yeah, I studied, um, did film studies at university, actually. Um, so always had a bit of a bit of an arty side to me, a bit of an aspiration to do something a little bit creative didn't really know what that was going to be. So I thought I would go and watch films and read books for a few years in Sheffield, which was good fun. Um, following that, I went into uh, digital marketing and social media. And that's where I sort of cut my teeth and spent um, big, big early part of my career, really. So I was working across a number of different industries. So I worked in finance, uh, spent a bit of time at First Direct, loved my time there. Um, spent a bit of time working in fashion um which is one of my absolute passions like i absolutely love style fashion self-expression all that sort of good stuff um and i was working working in marketing absolutely loving it so doing stuff like creating content for youtube um running social media campaigns setting up facebook and instagram this was 
showing my age a little bit, but back in the day, like Twitter wasn't even out when I first got my first fashion <laughs> job. <laughs> yeah, like blog, blogs were a thing. Like you would write like long form blog posts that people would read, which I'm not sure they do anymore. Um, but yeah, I loved it. Worked in marketing for a bit um, and was really, really enjoying it. And I was living up in Yorkshire at the time in Leeds and um, saw a job advertised in London uh, for Monsoon Accessorize. And I thought, do you know what? I'll apply just for the experience of like applying. Don't know if I'll get an interview, um, but got the interview. And on the way home from the interview, they offered me the job. Um, and then I was like, oh God, I've got to move to London now. Um, so I ended up moving down to London, uh, working for Monsoon Accessorize. And all of this might seem a bit, odd to people listening to the podcast who are perhaps coming from an L&D background thinking what's shown about all this marketing stuff um, but I tell you this sort of lead up for a reason so I would there I was dream job living in London doing what I'd always wanted to do working in fashion like going to like schmoozy PR lunches with champagne and stuff literally living the dream and uh, I got a approach on LinkedIn from um, a chap called Nick Shackleton Jones who some of the listeners to this podcast will be familiar with. And Nick was working at BP at the time. And he said to me, um, I've seen a little bit about what you're doing on LinkedIn. Um, do you want to come and work in L&D at BP? And I was a bit like, well, no, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely not. I'm working in fashion, living the dream. Obviously, I didn't, uh, didn't say it in that exact way. I was a lot more polite than that. But um, I, I, I wasn't sure it, it is what I'm trying to say. Um, but the more Nick sort of spoke to me, the more I thought, actually, this is this is really up my street. This is really progressive. It's something really different. And uh, a bit like Charlie has said on this podcast, I was listening to Charlie's episode yesterday. Um, working in marketing is brilliant and it's fast paced and it's fun and you, you're learning all the time. But at the end of the day, you're still selling stuff and generally stuff that people might not need. And I was sort of coming up to a certain point in my life about to hit the big 3-0 and starting to like refresh my memory of like what well not my memory but like my sort of approach to life and what I wanted to do and the more Nick spoke to me the more I sort of thought actually this is an opportunity to use what I'm good at to make a real difference um so I said yeah go on we'll give it a go so I left left the glitzy glam world of fashion what and went from Portobello Road to a a glamorous business park just outside Heathrow Airport <laughs> um, and went to work for Nick um, doing learning innovation. So yeah, I was sort of sucked into that world straight away and I just adored it. I loved the community of, uh, of L&D. I loved the, the sort of learning network of, of people and how people would share and develop and grow and change. And I loved that there was problems to solve and and I'm still sort of trying to solve those problems today. And that's what I've been doing for the last sort of seven years now, really seven or eight years, just trying to solve problems using using cool stuff and cool ideas. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so. Go for it. So, so you've gone from, so you've kind of made a big leap from kind of marketing, social media, and then kind of, you know, fashion and everything kind of, there's, there's so much great skill set there. So you go to PA. And then what, what, what after PA, what happens then? Uh, yeah, so left VP with the gang and okay. moved over to PA Consulting, yeah. um, set up the learn, uh, learning performance innovation team at PA with Nick and co. So Nick, Charlie, Babs, Shane, um, we all went together and set that up with some awesome people um, over at PA. Uh, and we might come on to talk about this later, I'm not sure, but there's... Um, 
the sort of decisions that you make in your career and you don't know if they're going to be the right ones or not and there's I have this like massive curiosity inside me like I can't say no if someone goes do you fancy trying this like I just have to go yeah let's just try it and see what happens um and I think over time you come to learn that not everything every leap that you take is gonna be exactly right for you or is gonna work out exactly the way you want it to um, so I went to PA, uh, did some brilliant, exciting work with Nick and Bridge and Kenny and co over there. Um, really start to cut my teeth in terms of experience design, which was something that I'd never really done at BP. So started to design experiences for some really big global organisations. And I, I did really, really enjoy it. Um, I think I then started to think, actually, what is this right for me in terms of the way we were working rather than the what we were doing? if that makes sense. So um, those of you who've worked in consultancy, and I know Danny, you are no stranger to that. Um, it's a really different lifestyle. Um, and I think that role at PA really got me thinking about not only what do I want to be doing, but how do I want to be doing it? And what role does work play in my life? Um, and I sort of knew quite early on that this, as exciting as the jet set life sounds, sort of going flying out to clients in different countries and all of that good stuff whilst it was exciting it's also exhausting and I think the thing that I really missed when I was at PA was being able to really get under the skin of an organization because you sort of go in somewhere you do an amazing project which does make a difference um, and has real business impact but then you have to sort of let go and it's like letting your baby go and you've sort of like developed this big thing up and you're uh, the analogy Nick sometimes uses is sandcastle. So you build this sandcastle and you put all these shells on and you put a flag in the top and you dig a nice moat and it's lovely. But then one day you've got to leave the beach and you don't know if the tide's going to come and take that sandcastle or someone's going to kick it over or someone might build on it and make it even better. And I really struggle with that. And I think that's one thing I've learned about myself is that I like being in an organisation where I can really get to know it and see stuff through. Um, and that's when I made the move to Aviva, which is where I spent the last three years uh, heading up uh, learning tech and innovation for them, which has been really exciting. Um, doing a lot of similar stuff to the work we're doing at PA. Um, working with an amazing team, Paul, Nusha, Alexi, George, shout out to all of them. I'm sure that they'll listen to this. Um, really doing transformative stuff that is massively impacting the business. Um, but as is with all things, all good things come to an end and it's time for me to move on. So I think this is the first time I'm sort of saying it in any sort of formal channel. But yeah, I'm, I'm moving on from Aviva, moving on to pastures new to work with uh, Legal and General um, this, this month. So very exciting times. Wow. Scary, but exciting. <laughs> just a bit, just a bit. I think I always forget about the BP leap because I, I kind of came across you from a PA perspective, didn't I? I think yes. That's yeah, how yeah. I always forget about the B, the BP leap. I always because my yeah, I had a good good three well two and a half years at BP. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. So so I guess kind of yeah I, you touched on something that was really interesting that kind of that consultancy life versus in house life because I think so we've kind of we we we've gone different ways. I think I've I've been like always in-house and then I came to mm. consultancy and same like you you know both have the perks but both have the big downfalls and that that one which you mentioned of not being able to see things through or sometimes you're the initial fire starter and then mm. you don't get to see the the kind of you know the growth of that mm. 
yeah. So yeah, it's, it can be it can be frustrating definitely at times I think. Um, but yeah, I, I mean there's variety like the opposite side of that yeah. is there's many many projects with many many different clients which is lots and lots of really complex problems as well. Mm. So kind of when we look at over your career, there's there's been all sorts of things going on, but there's curiosity and creativity. So when you was in school and the teacher would say, Gemma, what, what do you want to be when you grow up? What what did you used to say to the teacher? Uh, so I always used to want to be a writer. Um, and I still do when I finally grow up, want to be a writer. <laughs> um, yeah, I've always written stories like for fun, I suppose, like as a bit of a hobby. Um, and more recently got into writing poetry. Um, but when, when I was at school, the sort of career option if anyone asked me I would always say I want to be a journalist um, and would have probably said fashion journalist as well which I sort of got to do a little bit of that when I was doing the the marketing fashion blogging and stuff um funny story actually I remember going to see the careers advisor as you do when you're in like year 10 or year 11 at school um so I went along to see, see this lady and she got like a folder on the desk and I was super excited as I always am about everything. I was like, yeah, careers advice. Woo, I'm going to like figure out my new job. But I should have probably see, seen the omen coming because I applied for work experience. We did like a three-week work experience placement when we are in year 11 at a local uh, company. And I applied to the local paper, which I think was the Rotherham Advertiser at the time. I don't know if it's still going. Okay. And um, I didn't get on the Rotherham Advertiser and I ended up working in a, tallin, a tanning salon for three weeks, which is about as far away from... <laughs> from that as you can get and I'm not knocking tanning salons I, I love it I love a good glow but um but yeah it wasn't wasn't quite the journalism experience I was expecting um and yeah that should have probably been a, a red flag for when I got into the careers office and the lady said to me what are you trying to be when you when you grow up or whatever the question was and I said um I want to be a journalist and the lady said to me have you thought about being a social worker and wow. I said, no, no, I want to be a journalist. And, and she was like, but what about social work? And I was like, no, no, definitely, definitely something with writing, definitely something with words. She's like, I'll just put you down for social worker, shall I? And I was just like, all oh, right, okay. So yeah, wow. that was my first experience of careers advice. And um, yeah, I've got to say, it, uh, it definitely didn't send me down that path. And I had no desire. Well, I do have a desire to help people, I suppose, which she might have spotted in me, mm -hmm. um, but but definitely didn't want to, didn't want to be a social worker. <laughs> it's bizarre that, like I think, mad. That that never ever changes. Like even if we just take that kind of her fixed mindset and provide it to say what we see in business, right? I mm. want this, but actually that's not going to fix your problem. Yeah, but I want this. Yeah, it's the same thing. That's exactly it. Exactly it, Danny. That is totally, totally it. Maybe that maybe maybe your career teacher was saying, "Here's some sound advice that's going to follow you around for the rest of your life." and boy has it followed me <laughs> there's always a problem to solve <laughs> I think my uh, my work experience so I didn't know like if you ask me now what do I want to be when I grow up I still don't think I could tell you um what did, what would you have said to that answer when you were younger I wanted to do special effects in movies ah, yeah cool. that was like my, my thing I wanted to kind of yeah do special effects I'm not sure, really sure where that come from I was always very hmm. similar to kind of always into movies I'm still into movies now we talk about what is it euphoria how, how, how much did yeah. we go back and forth talking about that oh like, that was amazing I think Loved we just it. appreciate visual things um, yeah so yeah I wanted to do that but 
obviously there was no special effects coordinators near me. So they sent me to Tesco to go work in, <laughs> in Tesco. Oh, how do they make that jump, right? How do they go? This guy, clearly creative, into this. Like, yeah, we'll, we'll pop in there. Like, don't get me wrong, like, the world needs Tesco, but, well, I'm not sure it does, but... <laughs> well, yeah. But, yeah, it's uh, that leap between the two. It's just like, what are people doing? And it, I suppose it's the same at work, right? It's like when it comes to career development and thinking about how you develop people, like how many people are asking the right questions and really listening to what people are saying and then helping them to sort of find a way on that path. Like, I, I just don't see it a lot. Not a great deal. No, I don't, I don't think... I think, it, you know, when people say, oh, how do you figure... I can't remember my initial conversation with my careers teacher. I can't. I can remember saying, do you want to go and do work experience? And I was like, well, yeah. And I remember I had this moment, we was in the back. So assuming you've never worked in Tesco, they have massive freezers in the back. I remember I was working with two guys. One was called Gaz, I think. I think one was called Mark. Definitely Gaz anyway. And we used to go into the back and literally all they used to do is just swerve like get paid to do nothing used to go in the back and then use like dream yeah use sprouts and play cricket in the back fridges and i was like okay so this is working life this is working life and they asked me to stay on for another week i was like wow nice. that's it i'm valued i must be good made it danny yeah. made it was it because you were so good at the sprouts cricket yeah it could be that could be exactly <laughs> we need him on our team but yeah it's a, it's a strange one but going back to kind of what you're saying about that whole even now you know, we don't see good development conversations or actually mm. actually just paths on how to, you know, some, there's, two, there's two problems, right? There's one, figuring out what I want to do, and then two, figuring out how do I get there. Like yeah, the two, yeah. The two big problems. And I think sometimes, especially now when we see this, the, the murky water of how job roles are kind of crossing over and how, like, you know, marketing is now very relevant to learning as much as when it's marketing or whatever. Totally, yeah. But yeah, I don't think anyone's truly figured that out. But I think it always kind of comes back, right, to asking, like you say, the good questions, empathising with the people who yeah. who were asking, who who are coming to you for advice. Because like, really listening to people, yeah. Well, yeah, like you, how how many people did you have in your team at Aviva? Uh, there were five, that's including me. Right. Okay. So like, there's five unique people with five unique problems and kind of. They want they want their career, you know. A lot of them want a career. A lot, some of them don't, but some of them do. And kind of everyone brings their unique little complex problems, right? And yeah. I think sometimes we forget about that as managers. Like, not forget about, it, but people look at managers and go, "Oh, this is how you should manage." And actually, I think one of the things which I get from you, which I've kind of always got from you, is that really human kind of investment. I guess is probably the best way. I think it probably comes down to that curiosity point you made earlier. Like I'm genuinely interested in people. And if people are in my team, it's it's for a reason, right? It's because I've seen something in them that I believe is going to gonna help or going to make a difference. And so I want to nurture that and I want to get to know it. But I think one of the things that I learn actually, and, and I've got to say, whilst I've been at Aviva, I've learned so much about leadership. And a lot of that is down to, some of the tools that I've picked up along the way and like the mentoring that I've had, but a lot of it is down to my team being open to me trying stuff with them. So I've come back and said, I'm going to try this. And you might notice it feels different in terms of like how our conversations are going, but I'm going to try and be more coaching. or I'm going to try and mm. do X, Y, and Z. And they, they've sort of let me do that. Um, but I think on the, on the career thing is one of the things that I really learn is 
not to project what I'm thinking and feeling onto people in my team and not to assume that their anxieties or challenges or concerns are the same as mine and to really listen to them. Because I think at first, like being completely candid, I would worry about like someone's reaction if I if I wanted to get them to do something or if I wanted to get them involved in a certain project that I might not have enjoyed. Mm. Um, but that was all assumptions from my perspective. But when I had the conversation with people, it turns out it really floated their boat and it wasn't my cup of tea at all. So, but that's where I started to appreciate having diversity in your team and having that like diversity of thinking and what what I might love might be something that someone else might hate and what they might hate might be something that I might love. And it's all about sort of not projecting myself onto them, but to, but really understanding what they want and what they need and, and listening for that and being able to ask questions about that as well. Yeah, definitely. I think I used to manage teams back in my old two days. So like teams of around about 15 people. And sometimes I used to just sit back and go, a lot of the time, people you know when you have your coaching conversations or your, your your career coaching conversations or whatever like a lot of time you just think actually my role here is to move the friction of, of mm. the system sometimes and and you know sometimes it is just that it's kind of allowing you to to remove the kind of the overweightness of something so you can have your creative license or your poetic license to go and do the stuff what you really really enjoy and sometimes, totally agree and sometimes it isn't the it isn't the obvious like you say you know we might look at something like, I don't know, an Excel sheet. Like, I couldn't think of anything worse than an Excel sheet. I'll do it. But, Same. <laughs> but, like, I'll do it. But, like, but for someone else, you know, someone like my partner lives day in, day out on Excel yeah, sheets. Yeah, yeah. Everybody's different, right? And that's why, like, having different thinking in your team is so important. I think that's that's a massive part of it. Totally. I think so. I think so. And I think, you know, if I was, I know a couple of people, obviously, at Aviva, but I think, um, think to go back to me I think you'd be sold on this definitely it's a really good organization do you know what I'll I'll miss it like massively I'll miss my team so so much but I know they're doing amazing things and I think that's part of the role of the leader to go back to what you were saying about removing friction and sort of removing blockers I feel like we got to a place where we've created a, a really good way of working a really good brand we've got really good relationships and networks there's good stuff in flight and I think that's often a good time to go if that mm. makes sense like you get to a place where where the team almost you feel like they can operate without you and I think that's perhaps what a good leader does is, is sort of gets the team to a place where they can where they are running <laughs> they're running the show they're running shit yeah um, I agree because yeah. I think I think sometimes I look at sometimes when a especially in creative roles um, I think sometimes a leader's job is to make themselves redundant. Like, especially with, you know, you see with, say, personal trainers. Like, a personal trainer yeah, is something you want every shout. year. It's kind of, they should really try and make themselves redundant as fast mm. as possible. Um, but I kind of want to come back, kind of full circle, actually, on this first point of this Fevish Bueller wannabe. What can <laughs> through that explain that for me, Gemma? <laughs> Do you know what? I've tried to explain it to myself, but I've, I've had it as, like, my bio on Twitter and stuff for so long, mate. I feel like it's just stuck with me. Um, so Ferris Bueller, for anybody listening who doesn't know, is this character from an amazing film uh, called Ferris Bueller's Day Off. And it's basically all about 
a lad in school who I think he must be like, I don't know, 16, 17. Um, and he decides to wag it or what, how would you say it? Play truant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it t- takes the day off basically. Um, and he just decides to have this day where he's going to do whatever the hell he wants. And he's going to live his best life. Um, and his mate in the film, Cameron, his best mate, um, is like a massive warrior and just worries about everything. And Ferris Bueller just does everything in his power to exacerbate that worry. Like he nicks his dad's Ferrari and he like, he makes him come with him on his like wild and crazy adventure with this girl called Sloane. And uh, he ends up like stood on a, a float in a parade in Chicago, like singing into the mic and they go to the museum and see beautiful art. And they just, they go for a restaurant at a fancy, uh, sorry, they go for lunch at a fancy restaurant and pretend to be someone else. And they're just having the most fun. And I just think like everybody needs that at some point in their life to be Ferris Bueller, even if it's just for that one day um, where you just completely cut loose and you just listen to your heart and you just do whatever you want. And I suppose there's always that inside me as much as I love work and as much that work is a massive part of me and my life. There's always that little bit of me inside that just wants to have that one day of being Ferris getting on that float and singing in that parade and just like running riot across the city and just having the most fun. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's there as a reminder to remind me not to lose that little bit of Ferris. Okay. Okay. I like that. So yeah. if say for instance, let's do this then. So say you was going into work and you've got the period from when you wake up all the way to mm-hmm. going to work and then coming home and you had to pick five tracks. What would be the soundtrack to that day? What five tracks? Oh, this is a good question, Danny. It's a I feel new like one. A, it's a new one. I would have needed like weeks to prepare for this. So I, I used to do something um, called 12 Playlists with my friend Tom, um, where we set this like mi- mixtape initiative up where we would have a theme every month and then we would make a 12-track Spotify playlist and we'd all share them as a community. Um, so I'm super, super into my music, super into mixtaping and, and picking stuff like this. But a question like that off the cuff, like, what do I even choose? So there's got to be, so I already know what the coming home track would be. Um, what what would be the song that got me out of bed in the morning? Mm. Oh, I just don't know. I'm going to say Spice Girls. Okay, okay. <laughs> I'm going to set, set the bar low in terms of uh, cultural <laughs> and critical expectations. <laughs> I would have, um, who do you think you are? So I think you should ask yourself that question when you get up in the morning. Who am I today? What what vibe am I giving off? What's my intention for the day? Uh, so yeah, there we go. A bit of Spice Girls to start. Nice. I like that. Oof. I like that. Um, what else would we have? Uh, getting to work. I don't know. It's got to be something to, to get you going. Something that you can put on and zone out of the commute. So I live in London and commuting anywhere in London is absolutely horrific. Um, as anybody who's been on the tube knows. Um, I think I go for some pop punk. I go back to like my, my pop punk roots and put like a Blink-182 on there or oh, nice. no FX or something like that. Um, let's go Blink. I go Damn It. Damn It by Blink. Okay. Um, just zone out, put that on and just... Uh, and I think the, there's a line in there that is, well, I guess this is growing up actually. So maybe subconsciously I've chosen that because I'm like, well, <laughs> I guess that's it now. <laughs> I'm on the tube and that's me for life. <laughs> um, what else? Uh, what else do I put on? Uh, this is a really good question, but a really hard one. Let me give you a bit more context then. Let me try Go this. Go on then. So 
you got Blink-182 on, and then you mm-hmm. come out from a tube, sun's out, it's blistering hot, shock horror. When you went in, it was dull and grey. You've come out of the tube and it's boiling hot, sun's shining. What's what's that tune? What's playing? Hmm. I would say... Maybe some like something a bit Brit poppy. So maybe something like Ash or Blur. Um, oh. I was always a Blur girl, not an Oasis girl. I'm afraid. <laughs> I know, my, from a Mancunian perspective, that's not good. But <laughs> um, Park Life, go on, let's let's go for the hits. Yeah. Park Life by Blur. Okay, um, good one. that's a good good one when you're bouncing down the street and the sun's out. Yeah, I reckon. yeah, definitely. Um, what else? You're at work. What what tune gets you through when you're at work? Uh, so there used to be a song we used to play. I used to work in an advertising agency when I was in Leeds um, called Bratapalm, which has changed its name to The Creative Race now. And um, we used to have to do timesheets, as I'm sure anybody who's worked in like consultancy, I'm sure you've had a, a, oh, your fair yes. share of timesheets. Oh, yeah. And um, I'm sure no one will forgive me for saying this, but no one ever remembered to do the timesheets. We're all terrible at it. Um, and on a Friday, your deadline used to be five o'clock on a Friday for getting your timesheets for the weekend. So we used to put on Eye of the Tiger uh, in the office, <laughs> like full blast, <laughs> uh, like to get the timesheets done. So whenever there's a deadline, I reckon put Eye of the Tiger on and that give yourself a bit of do, 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 uh-uh. do. <laughs> I love it, love it, love it, love it. So yeah, that one for when you're on a deadline. How many is that now? Have I done four or three? You've done four, so let's say you're going home now. Let's go for your going, going home, home. So my going home track, got to be a bit of david bowie gotta be let's dance um, okay. so one of my all-time favorite songs and just i think i put on that and i'm just on a different planet i'm not thinking about the tube or making tea or what's happened that day i'm just i'm off away i've got my red shoes on i'm dancing the blues <laughs> i like it i like it good choices good choices good question thank you i'm gonna push that one back at you when i see you next yeah please do at least i'll have enough time to prep it now anyway <laughs> so obviously you know when we've talked in the past we talked quite a bit and you know the group of us talk quite a lot but you know a lot of time we get to share our successes but i think i think when when it comes to kind of job interviews and whatever else actually say you know what does success look like i think it's not a really a strong question I think we really should be asking people, what does a failure resume look like? So if I was to say to you, Gemma, what does your failure resume look like? What's what's a key, what's a maybe one or two points that really jump out to you? Another really good question. Um, I think, because I've moved around quite a lot, um, I've tend to move, I mean, I, I'm reading at the minute, um, first 90 days uh like okay. the induction book um michael watkins and in that it, it talks about how like how long people spend in jobs and i think the average is that people change every like 3.2 years or something mm-hmm. like that um i worked mine out and i think it's something like the average is about 18 months okay. um that's all been through totally through choice and through my decisions but i think part of me wonders if things might be different if I stuck around a bit longer in places and did actually spend a while there. So Aviva was the longest that I've ever worked anywhere. It was three years. And I wonder if um, maybe, I don't know if it's a mistake or a failure, but is there something in giving up too soon? Should I see things through a little bit longer? That's like 
a reflection point for me. I don't know. I don't think it's necessarily been a mistake or a failure because I think the decisions that I've made have led me on stuff that I've really enjoyed and felt that I've been able to make a difference in. Um, but I do wonder if, if sort of not not playing the long game, yeah. is somehow not serving me. If that makes sense. Yeah, I think so. I think, like you say, it's not a failure, really. Is it? It's a reflection point more than anything. And I think, yeah. And and I'll always try and argue devil's advocate of you could have stayed there and it could have eaten you up inside, and you could yeah, have gone from true. the joyfulness of who Gemma is to being resentful of a company and and actually not really enjoying who you are and what you do anymore. So yeah. the flip side to that is actually maybe you've done exactly the right thing. Maybe, maybe. So maybe that's more of a, ref- a reflection point than a mistake. I think um, one thing that I have, have done and sort of has tripped me up a little bit um, is thinking that what worked in one place would work in another. Okay. Um, <laughs> so because I have I have moved around quite a lot, you sort of build up this like little arsenal of, of tools of different things that you use and you think when I come across that problem, that's what I use for that. And I come across that problem, that's what I use for that. That's how I tackle that. And you sort of build up stuff and you start to think, right, this, this works. And some of the times it does, but sometimes it, it really doesn't. So I think um, when I started at Aviva, actually, um, I'd come from BP and PA where I'd been jumping around different clients and using the same tools and seeing pretty good results. Yeah. Um, I think what I did when I came into Aviva is that I sort of underestimated how much time it would take for me to really understand the organization and to also build relationships and build like credibility um, before I could actually start to change stuff. So I sort of arrived on day one, all enthusiasm, all guns blazing, jazz hands out, going, woo, we're going to change things, we're going to do X, Y, and Z. And the team were like, what? <laughs> what, you, what on earth are you on about? Um, and it took me a while. like, the, And it took like, some team changes. It took um, a lot of sort of proving myself, convincing people, like almost earning my stripes. But I think rocking up and thinking I've got the answers is probably something that I won't do again. I think what I'll do is get somewhere and and try and figure it out like not just like i understand technically how this organization works but also thinking like i know how the politics works i know how the culture fits i know how the people work and i know there's sort of unwritten rules for getting stuff done Mm. i think i've i've sort of rocked up with my enthusiasm and sometimes people might misconstrue that as cockiness maybe or wanting to just sort of no, that way's wrong. Let's do it this way instead. So I think just a, a little bit more maturity around like understanding stuff before I bring out the big guns is what, I, what I'd perhaps oh, do differently. That's a really, it's a really interesting one, because in one respect, especially especially on say day one, the first thing you want to do is give out this big positive vibe. This I'm approachable. I am. I can help you. I will invest my time. Blah 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 blah. But like you say, the flip side of that coin could be, who's this? Who's this person? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, who is this? Like, what's she doing? Like, she's rocked up day one and she thinks she can tell me how to do my job. Yeah. It's like, that. I think that's the, the the nub of it and that's definitely something that doesn't go down that well. So I'll try to not do that next time. <laughs> <laughs> cool, okay. So kind of flipping this, this failure resume and it said, what's been your biggest personal success recently? And, let's caveat it, and... What's been your biggest learning from it? 
Personal success and learning. Yeah. Ooh, good question. Um, trying to think. Yeah, it could be a success, achievement, I guess. I don't know. Something like so, <laughs> so I don't want to be like cliche, but I think like not getting married because like I don't feel like that's a success. Like I don't feel like I've won my husband, <laughs> Andrew, if you're listening. <laughs> but I think the actual planning of the event, like I feel really, really proud of, of what we did there. Like we got married um, in the desert. So in the Valley of Fire in Nevada, just nice. outside Las Vegas, about an hour and a half, you're driving out through the desert, right? You feel like you're on Breaking Bad. You're like, wait a minute, I've just paid this man. I don't know who he is. And we're in a car <laughs> and he's just driving me and my most nearest and dearest out into the middle of nowhere. He could just pull a gun out and we could all be like Breaking Bad in, <laughs> in a hole in the desert. <laughs> Luckily he didn't. Um, so that was the success that we all made it out alive. Um, but yeah, you, you're driving through this desert and then all of a sudden you turn a corner and you're in this like amazing valley and there's like massive red rocks rising up everywhere. But we'd arranged to have like um, worked with a planning company out there and we got um, like vintage rugs and we got like a little drinks trolley and we got local craft beers and vegan donuts and like all sorts of stuff. And it was just perfect. And you know, when you like have a picture in your head of like, this is what we're going to be doing. And it's almost like, have you seen that program Nailed It on Netflix where it's, it's no. people have a vision in their head and then they have to make it and it's always crap. It's like <laughs> never what you expect. It's always like, like if you're making a cupcake, like the icing's like dripping off the end and like the colour's wrong. Um, in my mind, I was like, oh God, please don't be like Nailed It. Please be exactly what we hoped. And um, everything, everything was was pretty much exactly as we wanted it. So for me, that felt like a real success like it was a lot of planning and a lot of like pulling things together and working on different time zones and almost like managing a project but it came off really well and i was super super thrilled nice nice that's very good Sounds cool. um yeah it was cool and what did i learn from it uh what did i learn i actually had to learn to trust people so i am a, a little bit of a control freak when it comes to doing stuff and i really struggle to let stuff go like I really struggled to a bit like I was staying with the uh, consultancy thing when I was working consultancy side I struggled to let projects go like I had to really trust the people that I was working with on this I was like it's absolutely loads of time that we're putting into this it's loads of our savings that we're putting into this like it's we've got 15 of our like nearest and dearest family and friends coming out and it's something that I'm going to remember for the rest of my life I just had to trust that all these different companies and people were just going to show up and, and do yeah. what they were going to do. Um, and luckily they did. Um, and that probably made me think, actually, it doesn't always have to be me doing it all. Like I can, oh. I can, uh, I can relinquish some of that and let, pe let other people get involved. That's cool. And it sounds like, like the awareness piece is there as well. Like that. Oh, maybe, maybe. Yeah. Like you say, you know, I don't have to manage everything. But, I mean, did you have that awareness before that? Like, you was kind of control freak or, like... I've had feedback. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> feedback is a gift, however badly wrapped, you know. Um, yeah, no, I think I, I knew it a little bit in myself. And I think people have said to me before, like, you don't, it doesn't have to be you all the time. Like, you, that's why you have teams. That's why you have other people. Um, 
but yeah, I do. I like to keep close tabs on things. <laughs> I think there's nothing wrong with that. I think there's nothing wrong with that at all. So, so kind of, and this is probably it's a bit of a step change from anything, but I guess one of the questions I tend to ask my guests quite a lot is a gift of a book, and you know, I know you read a lot. I know you do. We talked about that in the past with book club and all that sort of stuff. But what what book would you give to someone? And it. It doesn't have to be anyone specific, like any age demographic, etc. But what's the one book you would give as a gift to five people and why? Oh, it's a good question. Um, so there were... So I did give books to my team when I left Aviva, actually. Um, nice. So now you're testing me. I have to remember what the guy is called who, um, who wrote the books. Let me have a look. Because um, it wasn't one book, but it was one series, one guy who wrote a series of books. Um, and I think people who are listening to the podcast will probably enjoy them as well. Uh, Austin Cleon, that's his name. I just couldn't remember his name. Have you come across him before? Mm, I feel like I feel like I know the name, but I'm not sure how. I feel like... I, I, feel, I, don't I feel like you, you will love these books. So basically, he wrote a series of three books. The first one is called Steal Like an Artist. Yes, read it, yeah. Um, so, yeah, you, you've probably come across it before. But it's all about, like, having ideas and just um, being brave to try stuff, like being creative, thinking mm-hmm. differently. Um, so for for my team members, I got them Still Like an Artist and the two follow-on books, Keep Going and Show Your Work. Um, ah, I've read which, the first one, that's it. I've not read the um, yeah, I've only read the first one. I've not read the second two, so I need to borrow them. Uh, if, if you're listening, team, <laughs> send them my way. <laughs> uh, but Still Like an Artist is, is a fab book. It's Like I say, it's all just about sort of opening your, yourself up to different ways of thinking. Um, the other book, I know you said one, but I'm not going to do it. That's all right. No, um, there's another book called Designing Your Life um, by Dave Burnett, who was a professor at Stanford. Um, and partly through our conversations, Danny, I've really got into design thinking over the last couple of years. Um, and this guy that I met um, through work called Eric Rodin, who has set up, um, I want to call it like a collective. It's not really, I don't think it's really an agency. It's like a collective of people who are doing design thinking on work. Uh, they're called Able. Um, and Eric uh, sent me this book in the post we'd only met each other a couple of times and we got chatting and it, then he sent me this book and it just really made me smile but um the book itself ha- like has really changed how I think about work and life and pretty much everything it's it's like a, almost like an exercise book that you follow you follow it through and you you do like different exercises reflections oh, nice. and things like that for yourself and it shows you how to apply design thinking to your life to create like the life that you want to live um and mm. so yeah if anyone's interested in that kind of thing i would definitely say that's that's worth a read i love that to my list because i don't there i've not go. come across that one so yeah sounds cool cool, cool. it's very good um yeah that they're, they're two sort of like worky books i i always give books as presents anyway like mainly because they're easy to buy because you just order them and then they arrive yeah. secondly they're easy to wrap <laughs> <laughs> and th- thirdly you can just post them off again and they're, <laughs> they're easy easy to job get done. to people job done <laughs> jobs are good and yeah those um if, if you had like little people in your life there's um a series of books that are all about like um like rosa parks and david bowie and mahatma gandhi and and all of that but it's like about 
people who've changed the world and how they've done it but like retold for kids and it's just like a magic little series that's oh, ace wow. like i would definitely say go for that wow that sounds quite cool that sounds quite it cool. is cool the um and these these questions are kind of like you can take them wherever you want i guess Gemma. like if you want to go personal personal if you want to go professional go professional um but if i was to say to you right Gemma, you've got a billboard and a million people are going to come out of that stadium and we're going to see that billboard what would you put on that billboard for people to see Oh, good question. <laughs> if you'd have asked me before the 12th of December, I might have said something relating to the election, so I'm glad that we're doing this now. <laughs> um, million people. Depend. The uh, the design thinker in me wants to ask, where are the people? Who's in the audience? <laughs> what let's, let's what are it. they struggling with? Let's go with it. Good question. So um, let's, say, let's say it's a group of, it's a million people who 50% are your average um, working class people and then the other 50% are big global influencers. So when I say that, I use that term very loosely, but like, you know, could be 50% one of the people within there is the President of the United States. So they're like big, big end people who can make change. Oof. I feel like the weight is on my shoulders now. What I are mean, we going to do with that? I've never been billboard? asked that question to elaborate. So, <laughs> um, let's think. I feel like the hot topic, excuse the pun, is there uh, is climate change at the minute, um, and I'd love to say it's one of those things that are close to my heart, and it absolutely is. But like, it sh- it should be close to everybody's. Like, people should be like thinking about if we don't do something now the world there's not going to be a world to fight over is there in future so all the other problems aside that's probably the biggest biggest one that's facing us as a as a race as a generation um without getting all Greta Thunberg on it <laughs> I don't know I don't know what I would put um I don't know like I feel like that that would be something that would be a good use of it but whether it's something I would put maybe not Maybe I'd tell everybody to go and have their Ferris Bueller day. Okay. Yeah, that's what I'll go with. Okay. Be, be your inner Ferris. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'd do. And if that inner Ferris chooses to solve the climate crisis, then great. But cool. I, I don't know. I feel like people being a bit more free might unlock something in them that makes them do good things. Yeah, I think it's an interesting one, this, you know, the climate kind of debate and back and forth and people saying it's not happening and like really how can you even argue this isn't a thing um did you see that picture of the kangaroo um yeah in front of like the fire oh yeah. my god it's just in australia it's just heartbreaking like i just can't understand how people can't change it and like us recycling plastic or taking our reusable coffee cups to the coffee shop's not going to change it, is it? It's got to, it's policy that needs to change yeah. it. It's politics. It's people are making massive decisions that have got the power to change it. It's like how you influence that. I don't know. It's, it's interesting though. I was talking. I wasn't talking at all. Well, I was. This is two part conversation. <laughs> so I was talking to someone recently on. It was on LinkedIn, and we were talking about design for deep, complex problems. Yeah. And, um, I was talking. I was like. This, this, you know, the whole fire is what happened in Australia. It's one of them things where you kind of, it's it's quite emotive. Like, you know, we see him, we see him in LA last year or whatever, and I don't know if that didn't impact me as much as this one did. 
Mm. And I, I don't know if it's because there's more coverage or because it's been going on since, I think it's in September or something. Mad, yeah. And I just think, like, when I was listening to, I was listening to a podcast a couple of months ago and I was talking about the LA fire. And I couldn't help but kind of, as you, probably you the same, is when you hear something, when you hear this story, like, oh my God, that isn't the problem. The problem happened over here. And mm. this is the, the kind of domino effect of it. And he was talking about actually one of the biggest issues of the fires, obviously taking out the heat, was the telephone lines and in in LA, all the generators. So what happens is when the, when one of the generators goes down, it sends a surge across the communication wires, and the the wires are not able to take that surge. So oh, then yeah. they blow up. So then they start another fire. And saying that oh, basically God. the issue isn't necess- it is, you know, the heat and whatever else. Yeah. But actually, there's a, there's a load of other problems what are happening underneath it. And one of them is this your, your wiring system can't yeah. handle a surge. So it's, it was kind of talking about actually, there is one, this big one problem, but there's a couple of other problems. Like when we talk about system, you know, system problems, this is one of the other things what's happening kind of off the That's radar. That's it. Yeah, it's sort of digging into it and going, is that is that what's really happening? And I've be, been doing a bit of work with. Um, Charlie Neen, who was on the podcast before, and Martin Bond um, recently on their new venture that they've set up yeah. uh, called Solved. And one of the things that we're starting to look at is how we articulate like the methodology for their way of working. Yeah. Um, and it's exactly what you've said there. So it's, it's about finding out what is that actual problem and then digging into it, like going under the skin of it and going, what other problems are there that we might need to solve? So it's not it's not just that, yeah, climate change is a massive part of it, and the fact that we're on track for like three degree warming is basically we're all screwed. Yeah. Um, but there are other things that we could do, like to change infrastructure or behaviour, or like even stuff like where we build houses and how we build houses and stuff like that, or like how people use transport that will keep them safer. I don't know. There's there's loads of other ways of of solving that problem and not when one one thing isn't going to solve the problem it's like a collection of different things there's no like magic wand or like on off switch it's like it's got to be a collective effort of loads of different things yeah. um, but i think you're right i think i genuinely do think like i i know i'm i bang on about it all the time but i do think like design thinking could literally save the world if like if only anybody had tried it properly like it really could and there's a key right properly like yeah you know we we go back and forth on this all the time kind of like Oh, you're doing an ideation session. You're not doing design thinking or yeah. like the stuff that we see. But it, it's interesting when we when I was on that podcast. And this was pro- this was probably a year and a half ago actually when I was thinking about it now. And he was talking about how the the wires couldn't take it. And actually, when he was telling this story, I was like, right. So then there's your problem why your emergency services couldn't get out to it because they had no communication channels. And actually, they start talking about how one fire service. So basically, when there's a fire in say point A and all the fire service for point A are out, point B will come and help. But when them two channels talk to each other, they have they use different terminology for a type of fire. So one might call it alpha and one might call it beta. So they're talking about two separate things, but realistically they're talking uh. about the same thing. So then you're like, right, okay, so there's problem three. So and I, I got off I got I got off listening to the podcast, I was like, oh my days, how how can you not this all this under like yeah. stuff under the radar, how are you not picking up on this? But yeah, going back to design thinking properly. So, actually, one of the things what I tend to ask is buzzwords. 
Like, <laughs> what's what's one of the biggest buzzwords you say right now? But I think we'll pick three, and we'll use one of them as design thinking. So, why, why, why is it being a why is it a buzzword, Gemma? So, so it is. It's becoming more and more popular. Like experience design is another, right? And they yep. go go hand in hand. So people go like, I know that you are Mr. Design Thinking, Danny. Like you are like literally my go-to if I've got something I want to like bat around or a question to ask about experience design. You're my man. Like I'll I'll come to you for it. But I think there's a lot of people just picking it up, like they have done with loads of stuff for years and years and years. Just going, oh, this sounds cool. I, I reckon I can uh, I can just slap it on my presentation and then I'll I'm a design thinker. Um, and I'm not saying that I am. I'm, I've got literally no qualifications in it whatsoever other than experience of trying it. Um, but I think done well and done properly and properly applied, it's something that can really help. Um, I think the, the version of it I use is probably a bit of a bastardised version of it anyway. It's the, the 5DI model, which borrows from design thinking, but is sort of tailored to learn. It's something that um, Nick... Shackleton Jones talks about in his book um and I'm definitely not claiming to be any kind of expert but I have definitely seen it work um and I think that that's the difference isn't it it stops being a buzzword when it starts doing things and starts changing things um but if people are just jumping on it as a bandwagon that's when it's sort of neither here nor there it's interesting I was having a conversation with mate Sam and as we were talking about kind of I've just done a an article, well, I think what, what we talk about in the group, sorry for the people who aren't in the group, but <laughs> Amy's writing one as well. And, yeah, yeah. And, and we, I was going back and forth, I was like, how do we call this? How do we call that? And I was talking with mate Sam, I was like, how do I call this? And I ended up sitting on the fact of it's just design. Like, mm. you know, there's, there's many different ways to do design. You can go Google Design Sprint, you can go Human Set Design System. There's, it's just a methodology isn't it yeah Yeah. and i think it's understanding the right tool for the right job right like yeah you know it's understanding that actually this probably won't fit and sometimes it is a case of going this works here from this kind of mindset and methodology and this one works here and it's fine the problem what i think a lot of the time is people get too fixated on this is a five hexagon phase thing and (laughs) and that's the only way you're going to do it you go actually do you understand that by doing it in this vanilla way this fixed way you're actually blocking out all the other stuff what's what's out there because you become so fixated on doing it this so yes. official way you totally don't see your blind spots i to- totally agree and i've se- i've seen that happen in quite damaging ways actually um if you think about things like agile i've seen people become like proper evangelists for agile and say this is like with an iron rod this is the principles of agile and scrum and this is what we follow and there are times when I sit there and I'm like but that that's a waste of time or that's not helping anyone or we're not flexing to that and I think you can still do it properly in inverted commas without being rigid like I think it's to your point it's about knowing what to use and when and being able to flex like in line with that and being able to say right we'll use this bit for this and this bit for this. But I think the whole buzzword thing, like I'm, I'm probably as guilty of it as anyone. Like I, I love a buzzword. Like I love a bandwagon. Um, the, the one that really annoys me is when people talk about innovation okay. and they, they say um, innovation. So innovation's our new thing. We're going to innovate. Um, 
And for me, innovation is just problem solving. That's all it is. It's just finding ways that help to solve problems. And there's all, everything we've just talked about is under that umbrella. There's design thinking, design sprints, um, any any methodology you can think of falls under that. But people lose sight of the fact that it's just actually understanding what a problem is and then working out how to solve it. And however you do that, sort of doesn't really matter what you call it, as long as you're, you're sort of staying true to solving the problem. Okay. So is this kind of where your, your, your thing of making work feel like more like real life kind of slots in as well sort of I think where that comes from is so I I have this lovely tech experience in real life like me and you you're up in Manchester I'm down in London we can sit and, and look at each other and have this chat and record a podcast and no problems I've not had to sign into anything I've not had to open up a different device I've just got you on, on my phone and it's absolutely fine um if that was work like if you go into work, you have this experience where you get on your laptop and then Zoom's blocked and then you get it unblocked by IT and then you've got to download something and then you need a password and then, oh, it's not being protected by single sign-on and you've got to get the cybersecurity team involved and blah, 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 blah. And before you know it, like the moment has passed and what you needed to do, you no longer need to do or you figured out a way to hack, you, hack your way around it. So I think the make work feel more like real life came from an initial frustration with the tech experience that I was having at work compared to the tech experience I was having outside of work. I think it's since sort of broadened out to encompass more than just technology. So it's it's sort of the whole thing. Like, why do people behave differently? When they put that pass around the neck, why do they turn into a different person? And the minute they take that pass off, and I think Charlie talked about this on, on your podcast the other day, um, the minute you get someone in the pub, like they're a different person. You can have a conversation with them and it, it's a completely, it's like this veneer is removed or like you, you've somehow magically like brought down the force field and I'm not advocating for drinking, especially because it's dry January and all I've got in this bottle is water. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's amazing the difference that just a title and where you sit in a company has on the impact that it has on how you interact with people and it becomes really tribal and it's like, us versus them um and yeah it's just it's, it's it's how how can you sort of stop that from happening how can you get people to interact more like on the level than making it feel like you're a work person and an and an outside of work person a real life person a real life person <laughs> yeah like pinocchio a real boy i'm a real boy <laughs> Um, so, so it's it's interesting though because kind of one of the things which I think about and obviously in my whole career there has been times where and this was probably it's early in my career more of awareness of knowing that I'm making this choice but there's been times where I've gone oh you're a bit of a dick I'm going to avoid you at all costs <laughs> and then there's been a situation a social situation where you can't avoid it and you have to go there and then actually go wow you are completely different to the yeah the, oh, the actually, assumption they're all right outside yeah. of work. Yeah, yeah. And actually, we've got a load in common. And I think, I wonder how many how many great relationships have been destroyed before they even got going because of that. Yeah, completely. I, I, I really think there is. And I think the way that organisations are structured really doesn't help. Like, I don't mean from a hierarchy perspective, but from like a, um, like a tribal perspective. So 
that you do see very often in organizations it's like us versus them mentality it's like oh those are the bad guys whether it's mm. like cybersecurity or it or procurement or whatever all who by the way i've always had a brilliant experience with if you're listening to this podcast <laughs> <laughs> um but it's it's true like you you sort of just because you work in a certain team you automatically have allegiances and grievances with like different people yeah like you say if, if you didn't have that like defined role or that defined team and you're allowed to sort of move around where the work was would that experience be different like would you be able to have more sort of honest and open conversations and just build relationships with people and not make it about politics but make it about like purpose and what you're trying to do mm. it's a really good and it's a really it's a really good kind of point because i guess the flip side could be said of actually you, you you hit it off with someone straight away in the working relationship you're like actually you're really good and then you realize actually maybe they've only got about a 20 minute spiel what you can put out there to sound like they know what they're talking about and actually it's only over time you go wow you are nowhere where i thought you was and actually i've got to be i've got to be mindful of that but then that comes back down to that having that open conversation right yeah and kind of is it worth it I don't know. It, it, it's a, it's a, it's a complex one, isn't it? Like humans and yeah. and tribalism and kind of the complexity of language is really is a tricky one to master. And I don't think it. I don't know. I've never seen. I don't think I've seen an actual way to do it without either offending someone. <laughs> or and sometimes not even just offending. Sometimes it's just a case of, oh, I thought we was really close. And sometimes mm. that gets in the way of saying we are close, but I kind of need to give you this feedback. You know, yeah. that is how you made me feel, or whatever, whatever, mm. whatever. It's a, it's a, yeah, it's a tricky. It's one. important though. Like you need that, and I think the best teams that I've worked in have had that. Like I remember getting some really, like, quite like personal feedback at a point in my career, but it was it came from a place of. I just, well, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to be like, it came from a place of love. Um, but it, it came from a good place, right? It was from someone who was really trying to help me and make me better at what I did. And whilst it was, I mean, I don't know if it was hard for them to tell me or not. They didn't seem to have a problem at the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I took, really took it like personally, but actually knew that it had come from a good place. And so it was easier for me to then sort of work with. But I think in teams where you don't have that trust and you've not got that bond, it's it is hard to have those conversations. Really hard. I think so. I think there's there's a there's a risk, right? Because if you look at say something like Radical Candor, the book, great yeah. book, great book, and it highlights from the get go, like Radical Candor doesn't give you the permission to be a dick. <laughs> but it's a trick one, right? Because you can read a book, but if you don't get the application of it you'll always sound like a bit of a dick if you do it all wrong. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think sometimes we see this with like, especially in leadership where they go, right, I've read this book, but it's the same problem as what you get with design thinking. I've, I've seen this, so I know what to do. I've read Radical Candor and I know how to kind of deliver this message. And sometimes it doesn't land. And then you kind of go, well, is the book Radical Candor an enabler or is it something what can make something worse if taken into the wrong context, right? It's a, a really good one. I, I think there's something in intent that comes back to it. So, mm. like, um, I've been trying to do more yoga over the last, like, year or so. And the place where I do it, they'll 
the, say at the start of a practice, like set your intention for the practice. So what is your intention? Is it focus? Is it clarity? Is it relaxation? I don't know, whatever. I think with those conversations, whether you're using radical candor or you're just giving feedback or you, you haven't got any sort of framework that you're working to, it's like, what is the intention? Like where, what, what place is that coming from? Is someone coming from a place of, I want to build you up and help you and, and make you better at what you do? Or is the intent behind that? I'm, a, I'm having a bit of a shit day. I'm, I'm just going to be a bit mean to you and, and take you down a peg or two. Or I feel threatened by you, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a conversation with you and kick your legs from under you a little bit because I'm having a bad time. Like it's, And there can be all sorts of reasons for whatever that intent is, but I think going into conversations intentionally and having a reason for having that conversation is is part of what makes it work and and being explicit about that like well I I made my little notes today for for our catch-up and at the top I've put intention gratitude positivity and growth that's what I wanted to come into this conversation with and what I wanted to like hold as my intention through it like I think just having that like being aware of that before you start to have conversations especially if they're difficult ones or you're giving feedback can make so much difference to how someone feels okay so this this kind of leads me on to a really good question which comes from nick um what's your top five tips to say to kind of stay positive like what are your top five tips top five tips Ooh, <laughs> i think gratitude massively like not in any like airy fairy the universe is connected sense of the word but just being grateful like being grateful for opportunities for friendships for like having a nice warm room to have this conversation in like just being grateful for the stuff that comes your way like there is science that shows that your brain forms different pathways if you are grateful like practicing gratitude is like proven to improve how you experience life um i don't know how true that is i don't know the neuroscience behind it but um but I definitely feel the benefit of it. So I would say, yeah, being being grateful. Um, what else? Uh, I suppose reala- realising that... I was going to say realising that nobody dies or re- realising that everybody dies. <laughs> I don't know which one to go with. <laughs> um, maybe that could be two and three. Uh, so realising that nobody dies. And Nick actually has said this to me before. Like, no one dies. If I mean hopefully no one dies if if we if we don't deliver or if your project doesn't go right like I'm not a heart surgeon I'm not killing anyone on the table do you know what I mean um I mean you could look at the flip side and say actually some of the work that we do is super serious like at BP when it was around safety that could have impacted people's lives so there there is something in that but I think just I don't necessarily mean it's about life and death but it's about perspective and about thinking at the end of the day yes something horrible might have happened but actually what else have we got in our lives that's gone well and and sort of balancing that sort of negative self-talk out with positive self-talk um so no one dies or everyone dies (laughs) what else would I say um I think surrounding yourself with people who uh lift you up and I don't mean that as in yes men like I don't mean or women or people of other genders um I mean people who will challenge you and get you to be your best version of yourself so not people who just agree with every single thing that you say but people who you feel like you're in like a bit of a flow with do you know what I mean 
have you seen that Luke said advert where the man's cleaning the windows and he's doing this <laughs> and it goes really quick like find people who make you feel like that man who's cleaning windows in the Luke said advert <laughs> because you, you know it like you get that sense when you feel it and I remember like just when Andrew and I first met actually and we used to go out for two for one cocktails at the elbow rooms in Leeds. And I remember thinking like, whenever I spend time with this person, like I feel like the best version of myself. I feel really, really good. Um, and I'm not saying you need to marry everybody that makes you feel like that. <laughs> Although I would highly recommend it, but surround yourself with people that make you feel like you're, you're in flow and that you're doing good things. I think that's important. Okay. I don't, was that five? That was five. On, oh, on awesome. Well done, well done. <laughs> there so, we go. So I guess kind of, we're probably going to go in a little bit more into the L and D kind of world here now, um, but obviously you've come from kind of like your comms, social marketing, L and D, innovation, and you know your journey so far. And obviously they're not all L and D, right? Like, what's what's been your kind of biggest transferable skill across them all? I think there's two sides to the coin of the answer so the first one first side of it is technical um so i think the one common thread that's run through everything that i've done has been um that i have played in the digital space and i think i saw a space a space there and i moved into it if you see what i mean like i saw no one else was doing that and i sort of moved into it so or that it was very much in its infancy so like when i started in fashion no there was very few people doing like social media um, but I was like, I could sense there was something good happening there and that something was about to bubble up. So I was like, right, I'm going to move into that space and play there. So I think that sort of digital and tech thread has, has flowed through my career um, and content as well that sort of feeds those those tech channels. I think on the other side, um, I think there's some, there is something about curiosity and I know you said that sort of the top, top of the call, but... Uh, Top of the call, top of the podcast. Top um, of the morning too. <laughs> top of the morning too. <laughs> I can't do the accent. Um, but yeah, I think on the on the flip side, there there's something around being really curious. I'm just nosy, Danny. That, that's me. I just want to know what's going on. I want to stick my nose in and find out what the problems are and, and try and solve them. And I think that's that's definitely been a common thread through all of it. I think being curious and then finding like your niche. So it might be tech, it might not be tech, but um, but I think they're the two things that I've, I've taken with me through it all. Okay, nice, nice, good shouts. So when we look at kind of L&D now as it is, and maybe, yeah, we, we'll drop a pin in now as it stands. What, what do you think L&D's biggest problems are right now? That people aren't solving problems. Okay, how do you mean? Um, so I still think people are, I think people are catching on to the resources, not courses mantra. Like I start, <laughs> I keep hearing it uh, here, there and everywhere. I sort of think they're missing the point if they're saying that. I think what they really need to be saying is if people come to them and ask for a course or a resource, they should be asking why what's the problem that we're trying to solve what should look differently and what will look differently in the organization as a result of doing something um and i just don't see that happening like i don't see those conversations happening enough um i think people as in stakeholders in the business 
still see L&D as order takers. I think they see it as somewhere to come and put their order in. I want a video, I want a course, I want a podcast, I want a VR experience, whatever. Um, they come to us with the solution and I don't see L&D challenging that often enough. And I think that's the biggest thing that if we could change would transform not only what we're doing but how we're perceived as well like I, I feel like we'd be start we'd start to be seen as someone who adds real value to the business and at the moment I think we're seen as people who create content okay so so kind of how where where do you draw draw the line and this again another question from Nick but kind of where do you draw the line in LD like where are the things where you just say what are the things that you just say no to not LD Good question. Um, I think it's about knowing the the scope of our influence as L&D. So firstly, understanding the problem. So like I've said, so if someone comes to you and they say, we want this, we go, why? Um, and we really understand what that problem is. And then when we've done a bit of discovery and spoken to people and sort of dug under the skin of that, looking at it, is it something that we can solve? Is this something that an experience or a resource would help people to to do or to change their behavior? Um, and if the answer to that is no, then that's when we say, no, this is not an L&D problem. This is a broken process or this is, um, so this is something completely unrelated. So not every problem is an L&D problem. I think the, Nick, Nick often says there are only two things to do in L&D. So if people care about stuff, give them a resource that's going to help them care. And if they don't care about something, create an experience that's going to give them an emotional reaction that will help them to care. And if the answer to the problem isn't either of those two things, I don't think it's something we should get involved in. Um, but you still have to do the, the first bit of the design thinking to work out if it's something you should get involved in at all. So... Um, by that point, sometimes you're quite invested and you want to solve the problem yeah. anyway. But um, sometimes you've got to you got to know when to what is it? Know when to hold, know when to fold them, know when to walk away, know when to run. Ah, I like, it. I like it. <laughs> it's not me. It's it's Kenny Rogers. That'll do nothing for my street cred. <laughs> but it's a good one. I think one of the the problems what I've kind of I, I talked about it probably the start of last year was I think you could honestly remove L and D. I think when I say LD, I mean LD of not not from this point moving forward, but kind of the older type of LD. And I think it is it is that right. Like did a talk a couple of months ago and I was talking about this kind of understanding of LD should really move backstage. Like fundamentally we, we have this stage where LD is front of stage and our people are the, the audience at front and they're all looking at us and we're the jazz hands. Actually, what LD should do is move backstage. We should we provide a service to our people at the end of the day. That is what we do. The service will be a service to fix a, a problem or whatever. But actually, if we do our job right backstage, we don't need to be seen. We just need to be felt. And mm. and I think that's if we fix the right problems, that 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 feeling will be very easy to kind of share. I really like that. I like that. It's sort of you just feel the change, but you don't need to see it or experience it. It's just something that that happens. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's really cool. It's like by stealth. Yeah, and, and this is this is kind of the thing. Like I kind of call it this this invisible L and D, 
and it's not, and it's a little dude it's come up with a better idea worth it but it is that like it doesn't mm. we don't need to be this front and center thing of hey look at us jazz hands actually what yeah, we do true. is we 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 go backstage we work backstage and actually our our audience our people move to front of stage that's a really good way of articulating it i really like that it's almost like the like service design isn't it if you design a really good service you don't feel it it's like great great ux is frictionless like you just don't notice it like if you could get to a place where you're doing that for learning wow yeah mind blown and it's sign me up i want to be invisible (laughs) i think sees it i think sees it i think as with everything though it comes from that initial conversation right um you know there's gonna be a point where you're gonna have to build enough money in the bank in order for you to allow you to do that change within the business you need to have that credit in the bank to be able to go right we're going to do something massively radically and it's going to change how the function works and how it looks but it'll also change how it feels and it'll bubble up to the business problem but anyway so i love it i'm, I'm on board <laughs> so kind of kind of coming back from that then i guess what's you know we've talked about the word innovation like we've already spoke about it and whatever else but where where do you see this where do you see L&D going and, and I don't want to say the future of L&D because I've, I've got my perception where the future of L&D is going but kind of where do you see what is L&D going to be like what is it going to be I, I have this analogy for Phoenix like this constant Phoenix okay but I don't know where where do you see it going I know where I'd like to see it going. I'm not sure if it is headed there. Um, I'd really like us to be somewhere that people come to when they really need help. So they don't come to us when they need a course or they don't come to us when they need a video or a resource or whatever, but they come to us going, I've got this problem. Can you help me solve it? And it is possible. Like I've, st- I've started to see it happening. Like I've started to see people coming to us now and saying, I've got this problem. This is going wrong in my business can you ever think about how we might fix it? And I'm like, oh my God, when that happens, I'm like, yes, we've done it. <laughs> uh, that's where I'd love to see it going. Um, I think L&D as an industry is massively too caught up in tech and the latest shiny thing and what, what it can do for us. Like, it's not about that. Like, if we could get to a place of where we're just trying to understand what's up and then making it better for people, that would be the dream, I think. Yeah, I think it's an interesting one. I think you, I think you're spot on with the fact of it being tech. Like fundamentally, whether we're always creating experiences, like whether it's a tactile or an immersive experience and a mm-hmm. strategic one, across the spectrum, it's they still they are what they are. And I think it's a really good point where you make about it not being tech focused. Like how I mean, the industry of L and D of tech is massive, right? We we know yeah. that. And it kind of starts becoming this its own fulfilled prophecy, right? It kind of like, yeah, this is a problem. It's a tech problem. This is a problem. It's a tech problem, right? Is it a tech problem? Like, mm-hmm. or is it just a fact? Or is it a problem you're just throwing tech at them? And then exactly, and and that that's it, isn't it? It's like if if ever I said, oh, I've I've got a problem. Like I don't know, I need to upskill people on digital. And someone came to me and went, I've got a platform for that. I'd just be like, mm, have you really? Um, but I think we're, we're quick to look for a silver bullet. And I think the more I work in L&D, and like I've got nothing on some of the people who've been working in the industry years and years and years. Um, I'm still a relative newcomer to it. But I think 
like I've started to see over over time that whilst tech has been what brought me here, tech's not why I'm staying, if that makes sense. Oh, nice. Like tech got me into it, but I've actually seen there's there's work to be done to fix stuff. We need to change like how people think about stuff, how people approach problem solving. And tech, if we're just saying tech is gonna be the answer, like it's totally not. It's like, it's just not gonna work. Yeah, yeah, it, it isn't. And, and I guess like, for me, there should be more, when we're talking about tech, like I actually think the, the, the bigger problem is using the space in which we're working and turning that into mm. a deployment system. Because, like, for example, let's just look at something as simple as a beacon. Like, we can, tur- we can turn... A lot of the tech stuff that we talk about is still fundamentally attached to a laptop, attached to a phone, an app, workday learning, LinkedIn learning, whatever, whatever. Actually, there's not really a lot of tech what's being focused upon the deployment within a physical space. And I think that is kind of... Like... I don't know, when I think about how can I turn my walking from my desk, I don't have a desk work from home, but if I was in a business, how can I go from walking from my desk to the third floor into a learning moment? You can't do that. You can't do it on an app because the workday learning or the LinkedIn learning, you're competing with that versus Instagram. Mm. So, yeah. so actually what you need to do is go, the problem isn't the fact of the attention because LinkedIn or, sorry, Instagram's always going to work. Actually, how can we deploy something so when I'm walking in the lift the beacon or whatever sends me a notification say hey here's a 30 second clip on x right and and that that's it isn't it so part of it is the deployment and the tech and and getting it to people at the right time but also making sure it's the right stuff so like learning is the last thing on most people's minds at work you're thinking about like 10,000 other things and the last thing you're doing is thinking, oh, how can I upskill on my way to my next meeting? But I, I totally take the point of like using the physical space to get content out to people. But if you could make that beacon push out something that's context aware, so it goes like, oh, Danny, I see you're off to meet Gemma. Like, here's like your, your notes from the last meeting, yeah. or um, this is her last post on Yammer. Maybe you, you might want to chat through that or something like that. That for me would be it's not like learning in the traditional sense, but it's, it's sort of, it's provoking and prompting thinking and discovery. And, and that, I don't know, it feels like there's something in that, but I do like the idea of like using beacons to like fill that empty, empty space or empty moments. That's really cool. Yeah. And I think that's where we can start. And obviously there's a bit of big privacy concern here, but if I have a a calendar invite with you, we can start dipping into people's, three, six, five calendars. Oh, you've got a meeting with Gemma. Here's, it, it, it actually starts to become a bit more about efficiency. If you're going oh, to a totally. meeting, you go actually, right, boom, I know what I need to go to. Yeah, like org effectiveness. Like, um, I don't know if you've seen Microsoft Insights that they've got on the new Office 365. It's brilliant. So you can get it at an organizational level, which does become a bit big brother. But you've also got personal insights as well. So like on your inbox, you can see, these are the five people you're spending the most time with this week um this is how much time you've spent in email versus meetings it'll give you like a sense a bit like a bit like your iphone analytics you get at the end of the week saying you've spent 14 hours on instagram (laughs) (laughs) or at least mine does um but yeah a bit like that and you sort of change your behavior based on it so it's like oh right god i spent like 
80% of my time in meetings last week, but none of it was with my direct team. Like, I'm going to change that and spend yeah. a bit more time with them. And I think there is really something in that about being context aware. But again, doing it in like an ethical way that's not going to feel big brother. But giving that data to people and saying, look, this is the company can't see this data. This is just for you. This is like your Fitbit. For, yeah. for how you work it's going to make you more effective you, if you choose to change stuff based on what it's telling you i think there's definitely something in that i think so i think it's like with anything in it it comes down to time well saved or time well spent and, mm. and i think it's like if i can save time within a meeting then that gives me time to spend better time with my team or with my coaching conversation with yeah. bob on the team or at home, you know, or you can have a better work-life balance. Spot yeah. on. And that's, that fundamentally is one of the big things, right? Jobs to be done is, I want to do this in order for this to happen so I can mm. spend more time at home. Totally. So, I guess, be mindful of time here, Gemma. Wow, one hour, 24 minutes. Oh my know. God, that's flown. <laughs> um, so, a question which kind of came in, I asked, obviously I asked a few people within the group and I asked them, I got a message from Paul. I think it was. I think it was Paul doing, doing mm-hmm. yeah. Um, he said, if you could kind of redo or retake the last year, what would you do differently? Oh, good question, Paul. That is a good one. Um, of a question. What would I do differently? Um, so we've been through a bit of a period of uncertainty in the last year as a team. Uh, there's been a, a bit of sort of, question over like um without sort of giving too much away how we're doing things and what we're doing and and that sort of thing not just our team but organizationally um i think what i would have done differently is perhaps spent more time understanding what is really important for people to know who are closest to me and who are looking to me for guidance so i think on a leadership level i've definitely learned some lessons around that so um Again, sort of going back to the point that I, I sort of mentioned earlier, it's easy for me to say, these are the things that I'm worried about, but don't worry about them because I've thought about them in X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Um, but actually taking time to understand what other people are worried about and really helping them with that. Um, so that that's definitely something I'd do differently on a leadership level. I think on a from a like a work level, like this stuff that we do, um, <laughs> I'm not really a swearer, but I'm going to swear. Um, I think I'd take less shit in terms okay. of... Uh, and what, what I mean by that is um, I would I'd push a little bit harder if people said, oh, we can't do that, or that's not a priority. I'd push a bit more and fight a bit more for the stuff that I believed in because it's easy for stuff to get deprioritised and for it to get... And even just using that word, like, deprioritization, straight away you strip the the humanity out of it don't you straight away you're into oh well it's just co- it's just corporate stuff it's just strategic mm. priorities whereas actually is it really strategic priorities could i have pushed a bit harder and perhaps done things a little bit differently i think yeah is the answer if i'm really honest with myself so i think yeah listen to what's important to people and uh, and take less shit from people <laughs> are the two takeaways <laughs> thanks paul you made me swear <laughs> job well done <laughs> so I guess kind of you know you, you're quite active on LinkedIn social media in general um, so this question take it however you want and wherever it goes but and maybe maybe it's within the term of LD or maybe it's not but is social media or 
LD's presence on social media, a net positive or a net negative? And again, it doesn't have to be LD, it can be just in general. I'm going to say a net positive. Okay. Um, maybe my bias, looking at the question from Nick, how do you stay positive? I'm always going to err on that side. Um, I, I genuinely do think it, we've opened some sort of horrific Pandora's box that we just cannot put the lid back on. And like it is fundamentally changing the fabric of society as we know it and changing how people connect. Like it's terrifying, but I think it's also brilliant. I think there's far much more good that is going to come out of social media than there is bad. I really, really hope so. I mean, I know it's not the way of the world, <laughs> the way the world tends to be to err on the side of evil and destruction, but I'm really holding out hope. Come on, humanity. Don't let me down. Come on. <laughs> we can do this. <laughs> um, I, I, I think it is. I think it's, it's connecting people. It's starting debates. Um, on a bad day, it's an echo chamber on a bad day. It's, it's people patting people on the back and sort of sharing the same messages and promoting the same people. Um, but on a good day, you can connect with someone who who's really needed help or someone can really reach out and help you. Um, it can make the world feel like a smaller place. Like I'm far away from my family down in London. I think it's brilliant for that. I can see my nephews and my niece um, growing up through social media. Um, so I think whilst it's absolutely terrifying in terms of what it can do with the whole like fake news thing and and all of that stuff i i really hope that as a as a human race we can we can use it as a force for good i'm saying hope but um i'm not holding out too much of it <laughs> Fair enough. okay then so kind of yeah kind of wrapping up now i guess a couple more questions than we have done but what's your preference um, destruction or creativity and why? Yeah, destruction or creation. Oof, Danny, you come in with the big guns. Um, destruction is a form of creation, as uh, I think Graham Greene said. Um, yeah, I think I'm, I'm going for creativity. Okay, okay, smooth, I like it. So, obviously, people who do know you, well, obviously, you you know, we know you're well connected, you, you're on Twitter and kind of, you know, you do some awesome, awesome stuff. But who's the f top five people you recommend everyone should either connect with, follow, whatever? Again, in fact, let's let's do it differently, actually. Let's do five people in L&D and three people who's not in L&D. Oh, good question. Um going to say your good self, Danny. Um, and that's not me being being just nice. I genuinely do get a load out of the stuff that you share and post and the kinds of conversations that you create. Thank really, you. really do. Um, everybody, continue to listen to MindChimp. Like, share, subscribe. I love it. I, love it. <laughs> um, I would say, um, I think Nick Shackleton-Jones is posting like some of the most like cutting-edge, interesting, innovative stuff out there. I think... Um, Nick and I hope you are listening to this I think the philosophy stuff sometimes goes over my head um, <laughs> but I still enjoy it and it opens me up to new things that I've perhaps never never come across before um, I think Kate Graham is doing 
amazing stuff. So um, you might have come across Kate on um, Twitter or LinkedIn, but she's doing some incredible things with women in learning. Um, and that's not to say it's just championing women in learning, but it's championing gender, bi uh, gender balance in learning. So looking at the role of gender in L&D and how we can get it to feel like a more equal place to work. So she is doing amazing things and is really changing the game in terms of some of the conversations that she's starting around that. Um, I think oh, there's too many people to mention. Um, I think Morton and Charlie's new venture is one to watch. Um, I don't think they've got socials yet. So if you're listening, guys, get your Twitter started out. <laughs> uh, but they are, they're doing stuff on LinkedIn. Um, they're called Solved Together. Um, solved without an E. Um, they're starting to do some really interesting work around learning consultancy. Um, so I'd say give them a, a follow on LinkedIn and, and have a look at their video that they posted recently. Um, that's that's really, really interesting. Um, the other person that I get really good um, value out of on social media is Christine Locker. I don't know if, um, if you guys have come across her um, Christine is a coach, but she is so much more than that. She is super interesting. She's really into L&D. Um, she's also really into beer. So she's got a beer Twitter <laughs> account as well. She, I think she's done this course. It's not a sommelier, but it's like a sommelier, but for beer. Um, okay. But yeah, she does values-based coaching and she wrote a book, which is out on um, Amazon on Kindle, uh, which is really good about sort of values-based coaching and how you can apply that to career development. Um, and I think that's my five. That's my five L&D people. Um, who else would I say for non-L&D? Bruce Daisley is awesome. Um, do you, Have you come across this podcast, Danny? Eat, sleep, work, repeat? No, 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 never. So really. Paul, actually, Paul O'Hara, who uh, put that question in, Paul turned me on to this podcast. It's amazing. It's, it's about work, basically. Uh, but Bruce, until yesterday, worked for Twitter. He quit his job at Twitter yesterday. Don't know why, he just tweeted about it. Um, but he is really good value for all things. I mean, it is sort of linked to L and D because it's about work, but um, it's like a fresh take on it. That's really, really good. Um, who else would I say? Who do I love on Instagram and Twitter? Um, there's just so much out there. <laughs> I started following uh, an Instagram account. I don't think they've got Twitter, but it's called the Cheese Plate um, over Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> and they just make these most amazing like creative cheese boards ever they did like a whole series where they made people's horoscopes out of cheese wow okay <laughs> so for, for a little break from the norm go follow the cheese cheese plate that's really really good um and yeah i don't know is that was that what you asked me to do two that were yeah 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 that's good so, so you've got you've got cheese work and then five l and d people there you go nailed it nailed it <laughs> So, I guess kind of yeah, coming kind of coming full circle, um, right at the start of the show, I asked what you wanted to be when you grow up, and obviously you, more than most people know that, we kind of we never really stopped growing up. So if I was to ask you now, Jim, what do you want to be when you grow up? What would you say? One of my friends once said to me that I am a total Peter Pan. Um, I'm never going to grow up. So maybe I never have to figure that question out. I can just be a Peter Pan forever and, nice. and never never grow up. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Keep your options open, right? See yeah, happens. exactly. You, you never know where the next day, week, month, year is going to take you. I think 
like yeah just be be more ferris be more peter pan that's what that's what i want to be when i grow up <laughs> amazing so um two questions and we are done so right at the start i should pick five numbers um when i was scribbling down i was writing down what your numbers were so your numbers equate to these five items so you've got a slipper a piece of thread a paintbrush some lip gloss and an iPod charger. Well, yeah, iPod charger. iPad. Let's go with an iPad charger. Let's keep it modern, yeah. Um, <laughs> you're on a desert island. What are you doing with these five items? Oof. Slipper. Um, putting the slippers on to walk through that undergrowth to go find the, the coconuts and stuff to eat. <laughs> okay. Um, charger. I'm not sure there's much that much you could do with that. Use it as some. Oh, hello. I'm back. <laughs> oh my god, I'm so sorry about that. The irony of me going charger. I don't think there's much you could do with a charger. And my phone has literally gone dead like the minute I said that. So I'm on my iPad now. Um <laughs> sorry, it was charged to 100, but you couldn't make that up, could you? <laughs> Are we still recording? Yeah, yeah. Go for it. <laughs> I love it. Ca candid mind Tim. Um Ever, ever the consummate professional. What would I do with the charger? Probably charge my bloody phone before I record a podcast. That's what I'd do with it. Um, yes. Uh, what else did I have? A, a piece of thread. Yeah, a thread, a paintbrush, and some lip gloss. Thread, paintbrush, and lip gloss. Uh... All I'm thinking is, what can I set on fire? <laughs> 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 so I actually once did a, a, a skill, a survival skills course when I was working at BP with the team, where um, we learned how to make a fire. So I would know how to do it, and I'm figuring like I could probably make the thread into like I could like do this and like pull the little bits of thread up and make it into like kindling, um, like the fluff that you get the fire started with. Use the paintbrush that I'm presuming is made out of wood and set that on fire by like doing something if the lip gloss by some miracle was in a glass jar it'd have to be really posh lip gloss to come in a glass jar <laughs> I think. Um, I could scrape all the lip gloss out and then I could use that as like a magnifying glass to get the sun through which could then make fire onto the thread and the paintbrush and maybe I could make that burn for longer by making an electrical fire using the um the wires out of the charger and that way I'd have heat I'd have light. I could scare away animals with my fire. I could cook fish that I'd caught with my bare hands in the sea. 
I don't know. I, I've got excited. I'm wow. Like... I'm impressed. I'm impressed. That was amazing. Cool. There you go. Well, come, come, see, come see me if you're ever stuck in a desert island. Yeah, I'll give you a shout. <laughs> so I guess kind of, yeah, we're at the end. I mean, Gemma, you know, we're friends. I know where to find you, but maybe some of my listeners don't. Where, do, where can people find you? Uh, people can find me on socials. So on Twitter, at GemStentGem. And on Instagram at the same. And on um, LinkedIn, it's linkedin.com slash in slash Gemma Critchley. I haven't changed my name on there yet. <laughs> so I've got one question. So is there anything I haven't asked you what you feel I should have asked you? Ooh, good question. Now, if we're in the room together, I would have said, um, do you want a brew? Should have been the first question you should have asked. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but as, as it's virtual, I will, uh, I will let you off on that one. Um, I don't know. I think you asked some really good questions on this podcast. I like that you're, you sort of dig a little bit deeper. I like the stuff that's off off the cuff and a little bit um little bit different. Like the the desert island stuff. That's that's always fun. Um I'd like to hear, hear more from you, Danny. I I'd like to do the reverse podcast and uh and okay. get you under the microscope. <laughs> let's do it. Let's do it. Let's make it happen. I'm right, let's do it. it. One of my uh, New Year's resolutions is to host a podcast, so I'll uh, I'll grill you for for mind chimp at some at some point. <laughs> yeah, do it. I'll be sweating by the end of it, but it'll be fine. fine. <laughs> Gemma, it's been an absolute pleasure. Nice. Oh, it's been ace. Thank you so much, Danny. I've absolutely loved loved being on it. Um, might not say that when I listen back and and have a little cringe to myself, <laughs> but <laughs> no, it's been it's been brilliant. Thank you so much. Really nice to catch up. No worries, Jay, Gemma. You enjoy the rest of the evening. You too, dude. Thanks a lot. Bye. Cheers. Bye.